So uh, today we have looked up some hashtags on the idea around church fail. Like, you know, we've always had those fails or all of us have the epic fail where we messed up or did something wrong. So we gathered all of these people throughout the country who attend church, go to church, or maybe lead at a church to talk about the fails that we have because sometimes you see them and sometimes you don't. So let us share some of those with you. The first one is Bethany Roberts at Bethany D. Roberts. She says, good to be back. However, kicked off the morning by dropping the offering basket. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't gold or metal or uh, steel and just made a huge noise. And it was a true epic uh, fail, worship fail and hashtag church fail. Second one is from Dan Reed at Daniel Weed. <laughs> Let this dude, guy be a worship Dude pastor. was doing too much weed. He couldn't spell his last name. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Saying death was arrested followed by jailbreak this morning. <laughs> Hashtag worship fail, hashtag worship leader problems, hashtag church fail. Wow. Hey. That's all I'm here for. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I don't. Now you see me, now you don't. All right. Here's LTCF. St. Martha's Episcopal Church says, come on in. We love hurting people. Show up. Well, you'll leave bandaged and wounded even though you're supposed to come and feel whole and healed. Their greeters have clubs. That's right. <laughs> come on. We got you. We got you covered if you need to be beaten down. Georgie C. Kellum at Georgie C. Kellum. Where do these people come up with these Twitter tags, right? <laughs> when you speak into the whisper mic and it's broadcast out of the house speakers, hashtag worship fail, sorry 1130 service, hashtag church fail. Unless you're on the worship team, you really wouldn't get that one probably, but... Yeah, but I've been there before. I would like to apologize to the 9 o'clock or the 1045 because <laughs> no. it was just terrible. Go back and re-listen. We all have those moments, yes. right? All right, then here's Ross Tyler, uh, Liv Tyler's not husband, says that moment when you go to the bathroom and forget your in-ears are on and ran down your back and you sit on the toilet and <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing because it's almost happened, right? <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag need new in-ears, hashtag need new underwear. Yeah. <laughs> hashtag need new in-ears. Glad Tidings Assembly of God says to prevent sin burn, use sunscreen. Hashtag could we be any more cheesy, right? <laughs> One of these days I'm going to put together a coffee table book with all the terrible church signs. Probably a good All idea. right, then uh, Austin Walker, another original, at Austin J. Walker, said, tried to turn my phone on vibrate during worship, ended up accidentally turning on my camera with the flash. Awesome. Hashtag worship fail, hashtag church fail. Brian Duncan at Brian Duncan. <laughs> so my band was asked to sing a, a, a song softly as the pastor prayed individually with people. Guitarist started hallelujah a cappella. Couldn't find a key. Sounded like a wolf howling in the night. <laughs> Nobody could stop laughing. Hashtag worship fail, hashtag church fail. Ouch. <laughs> you got the t-shirt? Been there, done that. Yes. All right. Here's another great church sign from Knox Presbyterian Church. Running from your problems doesn't count as cardio. <laughs> so close. But we can try all day long. So close. <laughs> Tom Biddle at Tom Biddle. <laughs> or Tim. Tim. How about Tim? <laughs> so I like it. Tim Biddle at Tim Biddle. Hashtag whoops. <laughs> <laughs> said in an effort to say Abba and Jehovah at the same time accidentally said Allah. Hashtag preaching fails, hashtag church fail. Hashtag not coming back from that one. Hashtag what religion are you? 
All right, this is from a former intern of mine, uh, Parker Smith at PK Smitty. In a series for students on relationships, I prayed but right before the message that God would help us be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> Actually happened. <laughs> wrong setting, wrong time, wrong place. <laughs> Another church sign here from Trip S at Trippy23. Trippy, Trippy. Get behind me, period, satin. <laughs> What about silk or cotton? Are they in the front still? Or? <laughs> they're holy. No, they're, they're holy. They're, they're holy. The I got you, yeah. got you, got you, got you. Okay. All right, Will Bishop at W, Bishop 1213. If your worship song can be used in a dating site commercial without alterations, I will not be using it in my church. What kind of dating site is this? What kind of song is that? Good call. <laughs> I'd like to know. Yeah, good one. All right, last one, Simon Harper at S.I. Harper. It's never great when you lift your hands energetically in worship and hit your daughter in the face. Anybody been there and done that? Got the t-shirt for that one. Right, no Check doubt. Got the whole front row. Hashtag worship fail, hashtag church fail. Good stuff, right? <laughs> All right, thank you guys so much for letting us have fun with that. That was a polite golf clap, right? I was like, okay, that was pretty good. But like I said last week, there's no reason you can't have some fun in church and just enjoy our time together. Um, so we're in this series called Hashtag, and last week we kind of did a quick introduction on when the symbol for pound or hashtag came about. And it was in 2007, though, that we began using that symbol in the world of social media. And we used it as a way to kind of gather conversations or center around an idea or a topic or ideology or even a person. And that's really kind of the whole emphasis of social media, really. We think to, to push ourselves and our agenda and our breakfast and our cardio workouts online. But really it's kind of to see who we can follow and who follows us. That's really how we look at social media is who are our friends or who are we friends with. And um, so we kind of use that to follow people. And we're, we're in this weird state as a people where we so desperately want to be different. We want to be unique, right? We want to be different from everybody else, but we have this uncanny way of wanting to be like and look like and dress like and aspire like all the people that we're around and we allow to influence us in our daily lives on social media. We, we have this outset of, I want to be different. I want to be unique. I want to be special. And then we go around our world and our influences and people who are around us at work or school or at our jobs or in the community or people on social media. And we look to those things because we decide we want to follow those things because we give them influence over us. Then we begin to look like, dress like, talk like, act like, and aspire to be like those people. And we have this uncanny way of wanting to be one thing and then actually being another because all of us wants to be unique. Like, we all want to be the unicorn, right? We all want to be different. But if we look around, we all shop at the same places. We all wear the same clothes. A lot of times we use the same language. Even if it's different from a group than we don't want to associate with, we still use the same language or context or aspirations or desires that a lot of other people around us have. And so we end up living no different than everybody else. And so I want to look at a man today. In Judges chapter 13 through 16, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can follow along on screen. I want to look at a man today named Samson. He was a man who was born to be different. He was born to be unique, not like anybody else. He was to be separate and, and separated for God for his purpose, yet ended up living his entire life being influenced by and following a group of people he so desperately wanted to be like and be accepted by that he never ended up living out his purpose 
for life. And so Samson is the 12th and final judge of the people of God. And he falls right between Joshua and the kings of Israel. And if you don't know your biblical history, it's okay that there was a period in time where God came to a man named Abraham. And he told Abraham, I want to do something significant in the world. And I want to bring you to the place where you lead this in in the world. And I want to make myself known through you and through your people. And so God told Abraham, I'm going to make you this great people and this great nation. But unfortunately, you're going to go through difficult times. And the reason you're going to go through difficult times is because you decided not to live out your intended purpose I had for you. And you're going to walk away and you're going to be disobedient and you're going to chase after other things, other peoples and other gods because you're not satisfied or content with me or who I have called you to be. And so you're going to go through these periods of being exiled and pushed away and enslaved and taken from me and losing your influence in the world. And so there was this period where they were enslaved for 400 years by the people of Egypt and their Pharaoh, their king. But God saw fit to free them and brought a man named Moses to bring them out of that slavery and and give them all the possessions that they needed for their journey because he had promised to give them this land. And so instead of going directly to the land and obeying and following after God, they were disobedient yet again. And so he allowed them to wander in circles literally for 40 years. But again, did not leave them without anything, provided for them every single day everything they needed for life. Until one point, they're ready to cross over into the land, and God brings a man named Joshua, who had been under a man named, the man named Moses, who had been kind of his intern and associate. And so God brings Joshua into the picture. And Joshua leads the people of God into this promised land, but he told them before they go, he says, when you get into this land, be careful because you're going to desire, instead of living out your unique purpose, you're going to desire to be like the people of the land. You're going to want to chase after their gods and after their idols and after their things. And you're going to want to look like them, be like them, act like them, and talk like them. Even though I have designed you to be unique and to be different and to be special. And so during this period, as, as Joshua leads the people into the promised land, he passes away. And as he passes away, Judges in the very beginning tells us that an entire generation came up after Joshua that did not know God or did not know his plans for his people or his acts for them in the past. And so the judges were put in place by God as temporary leaders to bring this civil and military uh, stability to the people. And they were never meant to lead really spiritually, even though they dabbled in that and attempted to do so, but failed every single time. And so Samson comes in as the 12th and final judge of these people. And with every passing judge, the people's disobedience and the darkness they find themselves in becomes even worse and worse, darker and darker, and more oppressed over time. And so they're in this state where they need something and someone to come and free them. And eventually God would bring the kings. He would bring King David who had a heart after God and who God would send Jesus, the Messiah, through the line of David to bring ultimate freedom. But we're in this period of difficulty and darkness in the people of God. And Judges chapter 13 verse 1 says this. And the people of Israel, again, notice that word again, because they did this continually. It sounds like your life and my life, right? We wake up one day and we say, I'm going to live for God. And then we end the day and we go, I messed up, I screwed up, I walked away, I sinned, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. And so their life patterns very much after ours. And again, go back to that, I'm sorry. And again, the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And so every now and then, God will end up giving us over to our desires. And he says, if you don't want me, you don't want to chase after me, you don't want to live out your purpose for me, then fine, I will let you have what you have desired to bring you back ultimately to a place where you understand your need and desperation for me. 
And so the people of God are under this oppression with the Philistine people who were the enemy of God for 40 years. And so they're living in this place as Samson is there, and they're struggling with this arch enemy for, for decades. And so God allows them with this struggle, and then this man Samson comes along at the end of this time. And God sends an angel, God himself sends an angel to the mother of Samson and tells her that his son or her son is to be unique and to be different, that he's supposed to be the one who begins the process to bring freedom for the people from the Philistines. And so this is what the angel says to the mother. And the angel said in verse 3, the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are bared, meaning she cannot have child. And so this is a miraculous act of God as he does over and over and over again as he intervenes in the life of his people when we can't do anything for ourselves. And he says, and you have not born children, but you shall conceive and you shall bear a son. And therefore, be careful as you are giving birth to this son. Be careful and drink no, no wine or no strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, which you never thought you were to do. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall, this is his purpose, this is his mission, this is his uniqueness, this is God's plan for him from the very outset of his life, that he is to begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Samson was born to be different. He was not born to be like everybody else. He was born to be what was known as a, a Nazarite. And they took this oath to do a couple of things special for God, that they, they would remain clean, they wouldn't touch the undead, that they wouldn't take strong drink, and they wouldn't cut their hair. And so he takes this, or his mother takes this oath. The angel tells her that this is who he is supposed to be. And so Samson has this purpose for his life, that you are to save the people of God who have known difficulty, slavery, exile for much of their history. In the last 40 years, they have been under oppression by this enemy that I have allowed them to be under oppression by. And this man, I am sending this man into the world to bring freedom and hope and healing to a group of people who desperately need it. This is his purpose, and he is to be set apart, and he is to be different. And so I love what the Father comes back and asks of God, asks of the angel in verse 12. He's so focused on what his son is desiring to be. He says, now when your words come true, what is it to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? So the father wants to make sure I want to know very clearly what is your purpose for him, God? What is your mission for him? I know you told my wife, but I need to hear it. I want to hear it. And Samson's father and Samson's mother are dedicated to leading this man toward God and toward his purpose. And some of you were blessed with a mom and dad like that. Some of you, unfortunately, were not. But I tell you, sometimes for those of us who had a mother and father who had plan and purpose for us to be who God intended for us to be, we, like Samson said, I don't want it. I don't care what you want. I don't want you to put your rules on me, your laws on me. I want you to let me be a kid. I want you to let me be a teenager. I want you to let me be a young adult. I want you to let me make my own choice in life. And what a great, insightful question Samson's father asked. What is the purpose? What is his mission to be? That, that's a question that you and I daily, introspectively, and maybe even out loud should be asking of God, not just for our children, but for ourselves. God, what, what's my purpose? What is your mission for me? What is your plan for me? I want to know directly from you. Probably one of the greatest questions we could ever ask. And one of the questions that we rarely ask of God. Because we're intent, like Samson, on desiring to live our own lives and not allowing him to lead us and guide us toward the path and plan he had purposed for us from the very beginning. And so unfortunately, like us, Samson is much more interested in himself and not interested in the plan that God has for him. Samson was designed to bring 
freedom and safety and hope to this people. He was supposed to stay separated from other people, separated from the enemy of God, but instead Samson lives his entire life intertwining his life with the enemy of God. The people he was destined to free his people from were the very people he kept running to over and over and over and over again. He kept running. Every time he got a moment, every time he got free, every time he could make his own decision, Samson made a beeline to the Philistine people because he was enamored by their lifestyle. They didn't have social media, but it was as if he was on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, all those all day long and says, I like the way they dress. I like the way they look. I like the things they have. I want to be a Philistine. God, I know you made me to be different, but I want to be like one of them. And he lives his entire life intermeshing and intertwining his and his people's lives with the enemy of God that he's supposed to rid them of. And he dives deeper in chapter 14, verse 1. And Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he views this woman, and he comes back, and he tells his father and mother, the ones who know his purpose and his plan, because they heard it directly from the angel of God. He said, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. Could you imagine what this mother and father are feeling? Like, son, I know she's beautiful. But you know and I know they're our arch enemy. They're the enemy of God. And you know that we're commanded not to intermarry. God told Moses before Joshua led us into this land that we would desire this very thing. And he said we're not to intermarry not because it's not ethnically okay, but because it's, it's spiritually not okay. Because they are chasing after other gods that are not Jehovah, not the almighty God. And we are not to chase after other things, other gods, but Yahweh. But Samson says, no, no, mom and dad, you don't understand I'm a man, I have thoughts, I have feelings, I have hormones, she's pretty and I want her. I don't care what my plan is. I don't care what my purpose is. I don't care that I've been set apart to be different. I don't care that I was supposed to save these people from the Philistines. I want that woman in my life. And he continues over and over and over again berating his father and mother to go get her and bring her to him. Now, not only was this wrong because they weren't supposed to intermarry religions and spiritually in the peoples of the land, not only was this not supposed to happen because they were the enemies of God, but this wasn't the way that the world was designed. This wasn't the way that betrothal and marriage happened, that mother and father chose for the sons and daughters, their husbands and wives and their spouses to be. And so not only is Samson running from God and from his purpose, he's running from the culture of his own people. He is literally telling everyone and everything, I don't care what you think, I don't care what you want. I'm living my own life however I want because I'm enamored with how they live on the other side of the tracks. I'm enamored with what's on the other side of the fence. And so in verse 10, his father just giving in, his father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there, not back home, prepared a feast in the camp and in the people of the Philistines. For so the young men used to do, because he wanted to be like all of the Philistines and wanted to be like everybody else. And as soon as the people saw him, they brought around him 30 companions to be with him. Now, partly because they were scared of him, because he has this great strength, we'll see. But partly because they want to surround him with this influence of the Philistine people. And so Samson takes another step away from his God and away from his purpose and away from his mission. 
and says, I know I'm not supposed to intermarry. I know I'm not supposed to intertwine our people with their people. I'm supposed to free our people from the oppression of the Philistines. But I want that woman in my life. And not only do I want that woman in my life, I want my ceremony to be at the Philistine camp because I want it to look like and be like and dress like and drink like and act like everybody else in the Philistine camp and the Philistine people. Because I don't want what God has given for me. I don't want what my parents have purposed for me. I want what I want, and I'm going all in. I don't care who I look like or who I follow or what I do. I want to be like these people. And so Samson not only marries this woman he's not supposed to marry, not only intertwines himself and his people with the archenemy of God, he surrounds himself with these 30 companions. And you and I know, whoever we surround ourselves with, ultimately is who we end up looking like, acting like, and being influenced by. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care how unique you think you might be. If you live among a people and you are influenced by them and surrounded by them, ultimately, someone, you or them, are destined to take on the traits of the other person. And we see it as parents with our kids all day long. But sometimes as adults, we don't see it happening to us. That we place ourselves in positions we know we're not supposed to be. We chase after things that we know are not meant to be ours. We run after things that were never destined for us or planned for us. We say, God, I I know this is your purpose for me, but I want to go chase after this. And so Samson tells these 30 men because he wants to look big and bad and be tough like we all do, you know, in those ages. And so... He gives these 30 men this riddle and says, if you can figure this riddle, I'll give you these clothes and and you'll win the battle and you'll win the war and win the victory. And so he gives them this riddle and for three days, these 30 men cannot figure out the riddle. And they're, they're going back and forth trying to figure it out and they come to Samson. He says, no, you're not even close. And so they decide, you know, the, the way to a man's heart is not through another man. The way through a man's heart is through his wife. And so he's already given himself over to the Philistines through intermarrying. And so he has desire for this woman, and so these 30 men get smart because they had seven days to figure out the riddle. And on day four, they said, we're going to go to his wife, and we're going to tell her, we need you to persuade your husband. Boy. Separate note. This is why men have to chase after God. Because we are placed as the headship of our family to lead faithfully, lovingly, graciously. But Samson, so desiring to be accepted by, loved by, look like everybody else, his wife comes and says, oh, baby, if you love me, you'd tell me. But I can't tell you. I haven't even told my parents. My people don't even know. Like, I I know I'm one of them, and I'm an Israelite, and I haven't even told them. They don't even know the answer to this. I haven't even told mom and dad yet. She's like, baby, but if you love me, you would tell me. Like, if you really loved me, you would tell me. And so Samson finally relented. And he tells her the answer to the riddle. And she goes immediately and tells her people, what else is she going to do? And they come back to Samson and they say, we have the answer. And immediately Samson knows exactly what happened, exactly what he has done. And this is the very first time that Samson, this conscience, this, this moment of the Holy Spirit kind of speaking to him and him being open to the Holy Spirit, he realizes what he has done, that he's chased down this wrong path, following after these wrong people, desiring to be the wrong kind of person, even though God has made him to be something different. 
But instead of running to God, he just gets angry and he gets furious in this moment. And we continue in verse 19 and 20. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Now this happens three times in the course of Samson's life in Judges 13 through 16. Three times the Spirit of God rushes upon Samson. And God's saying, look, Samson, I want you to know this is who you're meant to be. You're not meant to be a Philistine. You're not not meant to marry in them. You're not meant to look like them or be like them or chase after their other gods. You are meant to be a people of God who bring forth into the world this knowledge of who I am, that I will bring salvation to all people who trust and believe in me. And so this very moment, the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. He's like, fine, okay, if you got this riddle, I'll just go destroy other people, take their clothes, and give them to you as the reward. In verse 20, it continues and says, And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Hashtag marriage fail. So Samson is furious because he knows he made a mistake and he knows the people he desired to be like have fooled him, tricked him, and used him. And he's stuck in this position. What do I do? I'm not living for God like I'm supposed to be and the people I'm desiring to be like have fooled me, tricked me, and played me for a fool. And so Samson gets mad and he storms off. Sorry, separate note. This one won't hurt quite as bad. (laughs) Can I tell you this? This is completely off subject. And you can say, forget it. Don't tell me that again. If you're frustrated with your spouse, don't run home to mom and dad. That's the worst thing you can do. I know it's in a marriage series. I tell couples in pre-remote counseling, oh, that's the worst thing you can do. Go back and tell mom and dad your problems. Because they'll never look at your spouse the same again. Even though you'll go back the next day and forgive them, your parents never, they'll have a hard time forgiving your spouse for what they did to you, your child, for the last 20, 30 years. Right? Good. Sorry, I'm on soapbox a little bit today. So he runs back home, but not before he's caused destruction, pain, and difficulty. And as he does, he doesn't realize that the father-in-law has given his wife over to another man, given him to his best man, not just like any man, the man that stood beside him and says, I'm with you, I'm locking arms with you, brother, I'm in this with you forever until you walk away and then I got your bride because I thought she was pretty from the beginning. And so he rushes back home and he goes back home and then He kind of gets his wits about him, his mind about him. He's like, you know, I wasn't meant to be home. I was meant to be married. And he runs back home or back to his wife. And when he gets back to his wife, his father-in-law looks at him and goes, Samson, I literally thought you despised this woman. I thought you hated her. So while you were gone, I gave her to your best man. It's like the worst news ever. Like I just acted angry, furious, made a mistake, went home, came back. And now all of a sudden my wife's gone and given to somebody else. So again, instead of stopping and taking this as a point and a moment of God saying, look, this is not who you were meant to be, Samson. I'm giving you a way out. I'm giving you an opportunity out. I'm giving you this free pass to get out of this. Instead of listening and chasing after God, Samson acts on his emotion and anger again. He grabs 300 foxes because he's just this witty, strong, cunning warrior, whatever who he is. He grabs these 300 foxes and he ties them together by the tail. And in between each one, he lights this torch. And foxes, animals don't like to be lit on fire, right? So they all take off running and screaming through the orchard field. And as they run through the orchard field, all the grain of the Philistines burn up. And all their crops are gone. Everything they have worked for is completely gone. And then in chapter 15, verse 6, it says, Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. 
hashtag worst day ever. <laughs> and then it continues, and Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. I'll be done. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and he stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Here's this man who was born to be a great rescuer of his people. He was the man, remember from the beginning, who was going to begin the process of saving Israel from the Philistines. Yet all of his life, all he wanted to do was to be like everybody else, to look like everybody else, to have houses like everybody else, to have status like everyone else, to aspire to be like everyone else. And in the process of desiring to be like everyone else, Samson loses nearly everything. And so he runs and he hides. And the Philistines come looking for him. They're mad. They're angry because he destroyed all of their crops. The people he wanted to be like are now after his tail. And he's hiding. Now watch this. The Israelite army is on patrol. And they come in contact with the Philistine army. And the Israelite army naturally thinks the Philistines are there to kill them. They're arch enemies. They're ruling over them. You would think a battle would ensue in this moment, but that's not what happens. The Philistines say, we're not here to kill you. We're here to look for Samson. Now, Samson was to be the rescuer, the judge, the warrior, the man who would bring freedom to the people of Israel. And the Israelite army, his people, were so fed up with Samson, they said, sure, we'll help. Let us go find him for you. And when we find him, we'll bind him and we'll present him to you because we're done with him. This man who is to be unique, to be different, to be set apart, to fulfill the purpose that God had placed in his life, to free us from you, we're ready to be freed of him. And we'll deliver him over to you. Here's Samson without a home, without a people, and without a purpose. His own people have committed to finding him and delivering him over. And so they do. They give him to him in verse 14 in chapter 15. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord again rushed on him. The Spirit of God rushed on him, and the ropes that were on his arms that they had tied him with became his flax and that caught his fire, and his bonds melted off of his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone. This dude's like, you know, he's just ready to take on everybody. It's like WWF, WWE, you know, it's just, it's on anytime. MMA, whatever you got, I'm, I'm here. He said he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put it on his hand, and he took it, and he struck down 1,000 men. And you just get this sense that Samson is never content. He's never satisfied. He doesn't want to live for God. Doesn't want to fulfill her, his purpose. And then the people he always thought he wanted to be like have tricked him, fooled him, and mocked him. And now he has lost everything. And so what does he do? He runs again. He runs from God. He runs from his people. He runs from his enemies. And he finds himself in the arms of another woman. He finds himself in the arms of Philistine prostitutes who he thinks will bring satisfaction, who will, who will heal and mend his wounds, who will make him feel better about himself because the Israelite people don't like him and the Philistine people don't like him. And he knows he's not living to be who he's supposed to be. And so he tries to drown his sorrows in yet another woman, in another out, in another way that would bring hope and healing and satisfaction. 
And the Philistine people will find out where he is and they come rushing around and they start to lay an ambush for him. And at midnight, he gets up and he realizes those people are there. And so he goes out because of his great strength. He picks up literally the, the, the towers around the city gates, the walls of the city gates, and picks them up and carries them all the way out to the hill, causing more destruction and causing more pain and more hurt and more sorrow. And so there's nothing in his life that he's satisfied with, nothing in his life that he's fulfilled with. He's chased after the wrong things for so much of his life, in every single season of his life, he has left nothing but destruction and pain and sorrow around him. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to be with him. Nobody wants to be his friend. He has no place to call home. He is so desperately desired to be accepted by and to look like other people who he was never meant to be like, that he's found himself with nothing. This is in chapter 16, verse 4. After this, he loved yet another woman, the third Philistine woman whose name was Delilah. And it says, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies. So it's the same situation from his first wife. They're like, we can't destroy him by ourselves, so we need you to attack him and to do something for us. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will give you, each of you, 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where you get your great strength and where it lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. And so just like his first wife, they go back and forth, back and forth. And Samson says, oh, tie me up with this. And so she has a man tie him up with this. And then the Philistine army comes in and they try to attack him and destroy him. And he just throws off the binds and throws off the chains and he destroys all of those people. And so Delilah comes back to him and says, Samson, really, if you really loved me, baby, sweetie, honey pie, if you really love me, you'd buy me that dress. I'm kidding. Shoes. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag been married over 20 years. <laughs> Baby, if you really love me, you would tell me. And so they go back and forth, back and forth. He gives her something that's really not true. The Philistines try to attack him. He overcomes them. And again, she comes back and says, Baby, but if you really love me, you would tell me how you might be subdued. In verse 6, and she pressed him hard enough with her words day after day and urged him. His soul was vexed to death. Now think about this. This man was supposed to be alive, was supposed to be fulfilled, was supposed to be satisfied. A leader, a warrior, somebody that was an influencer, people that would follow him, would chase after and want to be like him. And he finds himself with nothing. In verse 17, and he told her all of his heart. He poured out everything to her and tells her the truth. A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak, and I will be like any other man. All of his life, Samson was born to be different, to be unique, to be set apart, to fulfill this one purpose that God had for him. But instead, he chose to live different because he wanted to look like everybody else to be like everybody else. He thought a woman would bring love and satisfaction and affection. He thought a certain group of people would give him status and power. And when he allowed his head to be shaved, which God had said he was never meant to do from the very beginning of his life, he was stripped of his strength and taken captive by his enemy. And here's the thing I think we all need to realize today. The thing he wanted most became the very thing that destroyed his life. That one thing that he was chasing after, satisfaction, fulfillment, 
status, power, that one thing that he thought he needed in his life other than God was the very thing that brought him pain and destruction and dissatisfaction in his life. Verse 20. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. She realized she'd made a mistake. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. God finally said, okay, Samson, for all of your life, I have chased after you. I have rushed upon you. I brought my spirit into your life. And for all of your life, you said, no, no, I don't want it. I want those people. I want that thing. I want that relationship. And so God says, okay, Samson, like last week, I'll turn you over to your desires. And Samson thought he had the power to muster up the strength to overcome, to do what everybody else was doing. And when he realized the Lord had left him, he had no strength to overcome. He had no power within him. He had no purpose, no people, no home, no family, no mission in life. Everything he'd ever done had only led to frustration and pain. Then in verse 28, Samson finally calls upon the Lord. Samson called upon the Lord and said, Oh God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, that, Oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines. Now it wasn't until Samson's life that he realized he had followed the wrong things, that he chased after the wrong people. And even in this expression to God, it wasn't a true, wholehearted expression. He wasn't saying to God, God, come and forgive me. Bring me back into my place, back into my position. God, just give me enough strength so that I don't look like a fool in front of everybody. And Samson asked the guards to put him against the poles because they gouged his eyes out and he couldn't see. And he pushes the poles of the temple down and it comes crushing upon the people and destroys the people inside. And this man who had meant to be a rescuer, who had meant to provide freedom, only brought himself, his people, and his God pain, difficulty, and heartache because he was following after things that were never meant to be his. And haven't you and I been there before? Chasing after things that God never intended for us, never designed for us, but we said, God, I don't want that. I don't want what you want. I want what they've got. And like Samson, I think God has called you, drawn you, and rushed upon you at times to bring you closer to himself. And the question is, how in the past and really today, how are you responding? What have you been chasing after that you know was not meant to be yours? What are you currently following that you're not supposed to be following? The other questions are this. Who were you born to be? Or for those who are believers, who were you born again to be? And then the last question is, who are you actually trying to be? Are you living out the purpose and plan God had for your life? Or like Samson, or are you trying simply to be like everybody else? Because we have this uncanny way of wanting to be unique and different, yet being influenced by everybody else so that our lives look no different from the rest of the world. But you and I, believer, we're supposed to be different. God has given us power, strength, and purpose in our lives. That like Samson, we're to bring freedom to the people we encounter. We're to bring influence and hope and light, not because of us, but because of the God that lives in us and through us. And the question is, who are you trying to be? Are you living out that purpose he's designed for you? Or are you following after and chasing after things that you know were never meant to be yours?
Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we all find ourselves in this position. And it's hard sometimes to admit that, God, we're chasing after people. Or at work, we're chasing after status. We're chasing after that promotion or we're chasing after the esteem of other moms or other families. That we have not fulfilled the purpose and design you have planned for us and for our family because we so want to be like everything and everyone else. And instead of bringing hope and healing to our family and to the people in our community and our neighborhoods, we've only brought destruction into our lives because we have chased after things we know are not what you have laid out before us. And so God, today I pray that you'd bring to our minds and our hearts a, a rushing upon us like you did with Samson, where your spirit would fill us, you would convict us, you'd draw us back to yourself, and you would remind us, son, daughter, this is not who you are meant to be. This is not who I'd purposed for you to be. This is not the plan I had for your life. And so my prayer, God, today, instead of acting in our own emotions like Samson and causing more destruction, that we would relent, we would confess, and we would repent. Just say, God, you're right. I have been chasing after things that you never meant for me to chase after. I've been following after people that you never intended me to follow after. So God, help my life, help my path, help my course be centered upon you, help my eyes be on Christ, that I would chase after the things of you and not the things of the world around me. Father, we thank you for bringing forgiveness and hope in those moments and places where we have walked away from you. Give us the courage to admit those moments today in Christ's name. Amen.